Wow. Cool. Something good rocked up in the room today. I think it was Jesus. <laughs> Let's vote if we agree with that. Do we think it was him? <laughs> he, was, he was full of joy, anointed with the oil of joy above his fellows. And uh, that's not an incredible thing to say about the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But he was anointed with joy above his fellows. So circumstances don't have to dictate our celebration. Oh, less people agree with that. But le- <laughs> I want to I talk to you this morning. Uh, I just feel this is timely. I feel a, a, a kind of urge in the spirit to speak about this. And, and, and I have a title, but I just believe this, that God is showing us as a community how to move from a pastorate form of government to an apostolate form of government. He's showing us how to bring the kingdom while he builds the church. And he's showing us that our sense of identity will strengthen as we conform our government to heaven's blueprint. So as we line up the governmental structures of our environment to heaven's blueprint, we all get to be more who we were designed to be. Greater freedom, strength, and identity breaks out amongst all of us. And I'm going to refer to a couple of chunks of Scripture, but I think because of time, we'll see how we go. I will, I'm going to give you homework. Please go read them. Uh, but I'm going to just take a couple of verses as, as our jumping off point. So if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, if I had my paper Bible with me, that page would fall out because over probably the last two decades, it's like the number of sermons per square inch to this verse exceeds probably all others uh, for reasons that will become apparent. Um, so Ephesians 4.11, and we're going to quickly look at that, and then we're going to look at, oh, look at that, it came up there, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, well, let's go from there. Verse 8 is good. This is what it says, when he ascended, that's Jesus, he led captives in his train, he gave gifts to men. So the ascended Jesus gave these gifts. Verse 9, let's go. That's a really good verse, though. We're just <laughs> meditating on that one. That, that, that will sustain you for a week or two. Thanks. What does it mean? He ascended, except he also descended to the lower earthly regions. We, we won't be discussing this bit today. He ascend, descended is, very, is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That's a good word, and we were declaring that in worship this morning. And verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Let's do the next bit, because that's really good. Until we all reach unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, catch this, attaining to the whole measure. Can we say this bit together? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The church in its maturity is meant to be as full of Jesus as Jesus was. I'll say that again. The church in its maturity is meant to be as full of Jesus as Jesus was. And it gets there through this thing, this release of gifts to people. 
because I don't believe that that word is male-orientated. It's to people to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. If we could go to chapter 3 of Ephesians and verse 20 just quickly, uh, and then we'll kind of, I'll talk to you a little bit more. Um, That's a good word, but that's three. Can we go to 2.20? Sorry. It's my slight brumminess going on here. There we go. Built, talking about the church, built on the foundations, interesting, of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Most, most people, when you ask what's the foundation of the church, will rightly tell you it's Jesus. Very few will say, but also it's apostles and prophets. This feels like it's cheating or somehow uh, undermining of Jesus that people could be in the foundation of the church. But actually, that's what this is telling us. And particularly apostles and prophets uh, have a unique role in, in, in the foundation. All right, happy so far? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, the, the church, this year, on the 31st of October, the Protestant church celebrates 500 years since the Reformation. On the 31st of October, 1517, a man called Martin Luther, a monk, nailed onto the doors of the castle church in Wittenberg the 95 Theses. And he did it that day because the next day there was a, a kind of a church, Catholic church holiday, and it meant everybody would be in church and they had to walk past the door with these 95 Theses. And the reason we are here today as the Catholics called us the protesters, hence the Protestants, the Protestants, is that he highlighted fundamentally that salvation is by faith alone and not by works. And there was a whole load of other stuff in what he said, but fundamentally that happened. And quite interestingly now, in recent decades, the Catholic Church have agreed back with that. So there's been a reconciliation behind the scenes with the Lutherans, who are, who's who are the, their originator was Martin Luther. But the whole of the Protestant movement is celebrating 500 years. This year. This is the year. Isn't that amazing? Was that everything God had to say? Sometimes you read commentaries and stuff that, that I read and you think that that was the last and final word when Martin Luther and Calvin had their moments and wrote all their incredible stuff. You know, if only we could recapture that, then, then we'd be the perfect church and in glory. I'm not sure that's true. It's interesting that what changed was a view of salvation, but actually the view of church didn't shift very much at all. So to that point, uh, probably 1,200 years of priests and what happened was they got replaced by pastors, parsons, ministers, vicars, yeah? And <clears throat> all good, except on the list that we read, there's a lot of other things other than pastors and teachers. And some people came to believe and preached, some people even in recent decades have preached with some conviction that all of those gifts disappeared apart from the pastors and the teachers. Some have even argued that the gift of evangelists, some very respected Bible teachers argued probably now 50 years ago that even the evangelist was no longer present 
in the church. But when I read our Ephesians 4.11 verse, it says that these gifts are given until the church is fully like Jesus as much as Jesus is fully like Jesus. I'm looking, doing a personal survey. I'm not sure we're there yet. The only time-limiting factor is the maturity of the church, not some arbitrary decision by a teacher. You see, what happened is the teachers got hold of some of these verses. So there's another set of verses we haven't got time to look at today in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, which says it's first apostle, second prophet, third teacher. But it's the teachers got hold of the scripture and decided that the gift of apostle and prophet were no longer functioning. Guess who's number one? You didn't get that, did you? First apostle, second prophet, third teacher. If you come up with a way of looking at the scripture that means that the apostles and prophets have disappeared, guess number three is now number one. Never mind, I'll carry on. <laughs> now pastors and teachers have huge strengths that the body of Christ has benefited from immensely and needs and, and wants and and we want to celebrate every gift in that list and see it released and activated and fully on because without all of it, we are not going to become fully like, as fully like Jesus as we could be. And so the, the pastoral strengths and teaching strengths that have been in the church now for 500 years would be things like they're great at gathering people. The passion for producing healthy community. They love to teach, to instruct, to inform, to, to, to get people knowledgeable about the glorious truths of the gospel and the doctrines of grace. Because that's going to feed your soul and that's going to bring you to maturity. Do hear no knocking in any of this. This is good stuff. I've done it myself. They want to secure people. They want people to mature. They want people to be transformed. They want to form real disciples of Jesus. So they've got, they've got a patience for process that is sadly lacking in apostles and prophets. <laughs> Particularly prophets, I may add. But we, we want to be kind to all of the gifts this morning, all right? We, we love them all. We want them all. They all need to happen. But what you find is every gift often has quite a sharp end point. It doesn't have, da -da 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 -da, and you think, well, why haven't they? Because that's not the grace that God has given to that gift. And it makes that gift need the other gifts. It doesn't mean that gift is at war with the other gift. It means that that gift needs the other gift. And sometimes the step between one and the other isn't very great. You either didn't get that or you did get it and you don't want to admit it. So I'm just going to keep going. Uh, so, so there's this whole... And, and when, they, when they do church and church plants, they call them Oasis Church. We were actually in a church some, some time ago and they're kind of in this kind of transition to understanding the apostolic and prophetic more. And, and then they were actually called Oasis Church. And I said, I don't mind, don't mind if you, hopefully you don't mind me suggesting this, but you should consider changing your name. It does not represent who you are becoming. Because an oasis is a refreshment place where everybody comes to. It's a gathering point. But it, it's, it's, if that gift stands on its own, gather, 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 community, 
Let, let, let's, let, let, let civilization break out amongst the people of God. Let's mature, let's grow, let's be taught, let's... Yeah, so it's... And, and what's happened over the decades, as God started to speak about apostles and prophets, the apostolic has emerged often inside a pastoral mindset, because we've had 500 years. Probably longer. But at least 500 years of pastor teachers and most of them believing that apostles and prophets and maybe evangelists don't even exist anymore, let alone them getting released in the environment of a church. The effect it has on us, whether you know it or not, whether you grew up in church or not, what's sowed into our environment is that we expect church to look like gathering, growing healthy, being in discipleship, feeling secure, going for transformation, that's what we think church is because that's what we've inherited because that's what it's been about. And then these uncomfortable people, we start believe. See, it's not enough just to believe in apostles and prophets. You have to actually get affected by some. <laughs> and that's where the discomfort, danger, and challenge begins. Um, and so even, even the apostolic movements that, that certainly I've been part of, they've emerged in a pastoral mindset. So they're actually planting churches even is about gathering people and then you gather your leaders and you gather all the churches. And, and often as a pastor you're thinking about how many are here on a Sunday. And then as a, a pastoral apostle you're thinking how many churches have we got in our movement? Yeah, and who's at the conference? And are you understanding what? <laughs> I think this is fun. Just, just, just keep your head in the room for twenty more, thirty more minutes. Oh, I've got to hurry up. Hurry up. <laughs> so it becomes about gathering. It becomes about process. It becomes about discipleship, it becomes about evangelism, it becomes about all those healthy and good things. But apostles and prophets in that environment, although those, all those things, when they listen to them, they know they're good, they're frustrated. They're sitting there twitching. They're sitting there thinking sometimes unhelpful thoughts because they get so frustrated. So I want to talk a little bit in the time I've got, I, I'm going to try and give you seven hallmarks of an apostolic environment. Is that, is that okay? Because we're on the journey from one to the other. That isn't that one precludes the other. It's one creates an atmosphere in which the other is meant to thrive even more than it did before. And we have some great pastoral people, great pastor gifts in our church, which we should celebrate and praise and enjoy. You know, Nick and Jan would be you know, absolutely outstanding in that. We have great teachers. I mean, Phil Ford, what a phenomenal guy. Just, my goodness. Just, just, and Lizzie, amazing ability, building community, and tons of others. Yes! Yeah, please hear yes! If that's what you're buzzing with here, wonderful! Celebrate it! But we're going to have to spend more time on the other stuff that we understand 
the least to lift up and get our paradigm shifted in the right direction. Does that, does that make sense? So some of you are sitting there thinking, you've told us this before. Well, I'm telling you again. <clears throat> Not because you're terrible or you're awful, you weren't listening. It's just we need to plow this ground so that we all gain some revelation and greater revelation and we start to understand what it is we need to do. First and foremost, the first apostles, Jesus was obviously the first apostle. All happy with that. The next apostles mentioned were the 12, which he gave authority to in Matthew 10, and he sent them out. He didn't send them out to plant churches. He sent them out to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, and cast out demons. Interestingly enough, and he called them apostles because... Oh, and, and they were to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and they were to do this weird thing, which was they were to release their peace, which we read over quite quickly because we don't really know what that, or we don't, I think we're learning, but some of us are like, yeah, they released their peace, and if their peace didn't, wasn't received, they were to take their peace back. Now, if you don't know how to release it, you even have less clue how to take it back. You're like... But what we need to understand is that word peace is rooted in, in the Hebrew word shalom, which is well-being, health, and wholeness, and prosperity. They were to release an atmosphere of well-being, health, wholeness, and prosperity from heaven. And if it wasn't being received, they were to sort of gather all that back and go to the next place where they were received. So this is the commission. The first commission to apostles was to release health, wholeness, prosperity, drive out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse the lepers. That was the first apostolic injunction. That was their first job description. <clears throat> so it starts to, if you take that paradigm, that lens to look at church, it's not then about how many bums sat on seats this week, but how much, what was the footprint of this community into the city or into the earth this week? How much kingdom did we release into the education realm, into business, into schools, into shops, into the streets? How much peace and joy and shalom did you guys release this week? That's more what we should be reviewing than how many bottoms of warming, hard, cold chairs. So then you might say, well, why gather at all? Because we gather to go. We gather to equip. We gather to get excited about, my goodness, Muslims getting saved. I mean, God is invading the planet, including Glasgow. We gather to have our faith increased to become equipped as like Holy Spirit terrorists. Now, we go out and we're full of grace and we're full of joy and we're full of kindness, but the enemy is terrorized because we are representing the kingdom of heaven on the earth really well this coming week. And we got more inspired and more equipped to do it because we showed up at HSSL or we came here on a Sunday. So it changes what we're trying to do in this environment. We're not just trying to give you the Greek on Ephesians 4.11, although that might be helpful. But I'd encourage you to go read it for yourself. Get, get, a, get an interlinear, get some of the tools out. If you really want to dig in, go dig. Yeah, you're getting what I think. Go think. Yeah. 
So number one, it's about the kingdom. It's about signs and wonders. It's about the measure starts to change. The target starts to change. I've, I've sat with pastors and talking about what's happened here, all the hundreds of healings that we've seen over the years, and, and then they go, oh, that's very nice, but let's talk about the church. Let's talk about getting a new building or the problems we have with raising leaders. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute. That's not the main thing anymore. No, let's talk about this until we're all doing this amazingly. And it, funnily enough, a lot of those other things might start to swing into gear. Because if you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be yours as well, including, you know, all the stuff that pastors need. So what's the, fit, the kingdom footprint of the community is a better question than how many people showed up on a Sunday to be equipped to make that footprint bigger. So hopefully, the better we get at this, the more people show up here, the bigger impact will be out there. And the atmosphere of the, the presence in Glasgow will increase and increase and increase. And people will just fall into the kingdom so easily because you're releasing righteousness, peace and joy in your office, street, school, wherever you are. Because as soon as people get happy, as soon as they experience their presence, they get saved really easy. Because you've changed the atmosphere. The thing that's controlling them is in the spirit realm, not in their brain. That's a lie the church has bought into that isn't true. If you shift the spirit realm, people get saved. The kingdom of heaven starts to reign. We, we declared it, and then as we take that with us, it becomes the reality around us. And it's an irresistible kingdom. There is no force that can pull down the kingdom of heaven. Second of all, the apostolic is, is revelatory in nature. It sees heaven's activity and receives uh, revelation. And I haven't got a lot of time, but when Peter, when Jesus asked the, his disciples, who do you think I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. He turned to him and said, you didn't get this by learning, but actually heaven, the Father showed you this. And then he says, on this rock, I will build my church. What he's saying is not, I will build the church on Peter, but I'll build the church on Revelation from the Father. When the disciples return, it's in the Luke account when he sends out the 70 and they return with rejoicing at the demons fleeing and the sick being healed. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Now, there could be a secondary reference to uh, Satan and, and the angels that went with him that came out of, uh, of heaven, which is referred to in Isaiah 14. But I think what he's saying is, your activity on the earth put a panic into hell. I saw, I saw the spirit realm change that happened because you brought the kingdom where I sent you. He has, he has insight into the spirit realm activity. He has revelation, does Jesus. And apostles and prophets carry that kind of awareness. So they're more aware of all of that than how you're feeling. Which is not fun for you if you're not feeling good. But that's why we need pastors. It's not that they don't care. 
It's just they're not wired that. Their preoccupation is not, how are you doing? It's, what's heaven doing? Some of you look at me like, uh. Anyway, we'll keep going. It's revelatory. I don't believe, number three, that apostles are meant to build movements but create movement. This is a controversial point I'm about to make. Well, I just made it, but... (laughs) But I'm going to make it again longer so that you understand what I'm saying. So we read that they're to equip the saints. Sometimes you get the feeling that apostles are there to recruit you to their vision and mission. It's not the same thing. So the passage I'd like you to go read is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> uh, and and read, you can read all that chapter. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The bit in the middle you can read, chapter 2 is awesome. Preached on it, taught it on it yesterday at the school. One of my best messages, I have to say. The, <laughs> but what Paul is talking about, he said... Some of you are saying, I am of Paul. Some of you are saying, I am of Apollos. Some of you are saying, I am of Cephas. Some of you are saying, I am of Jesus, even. And Paul said, Christ is not so divided. What were they doing? They were finding their loyalty and therefore their identity by gathering around powerful apostolic ministries. And they were aligning their preferences with the style of an Apollos. Cephas is Peter, on this rock I'll build my church, Peter, and Paul, and the Jesus one, I think, probably is the independence. They could be the worst. Just, we'll get there in a minute. But, but, but the church for generations has found its identity in alignments inside streams. Oh, I am a, I am a believer, but I am a Baptist, or we are a New Frontiers church, or we are a, that's the wrong way round. Who's your apostle? Oh, it's fill in a name. That's not what he's saying. Paul doesn't say, get rid of all the apostles that are inputting you because I'm your apostle. That's not his solution to the problem. He tells them, you're unspiritual, grow up, is what he actually says. Please read it because it's much more finesse than what I just said. But in summary, he says, this kind of thinking, getting your security and your identity from gathering around powerful ministries is actually immaturity. One of the reasons the church is immature, it feeds into itself. It feels like it needs the security of gathering around a name, a movement. I believe apostles are to create movement, not movements. They're to get you moving, not say, join my movement. Equip the saints. Now, later in 1 Corinthians, Paul does says that you have many teachers, but I am your father. And I think that not all apostles are fathers at this level. But there are apostolic fathers that have unique relationships with churches. But it's not an exclusive relationship. You can see that by the way Paul deals with what's going on here. Is that? I haven't got time to unpack that more. But 
The point is our immaturity and our need to find identity around movements, denominations, and powerful leaders is keeping us immature when actually God is releasing apostles and powerful apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers in the earth, and the fruit of their ministry, as we read, is actually unity, not more streams. Ephesians 4, 11, down to about 12 or 13, it's all there. Are you still happy? Good. So the idea of the apostolic is it catalyzes mission of the community and helps that community find its identity uniquely in Christ. And I think prophets have a massive role in this as well. We've been really affected by Julian Adams and prophetic words that people like that give you as a community actually shape who you are and what you're going after. They help build identity. What is Hope Church? What is it here to do? What's, what's, heaven's, what's heaven's heartbeat for us? What's, what's our destiny and mission? That prophetic is particularly gifted at that. That's why it's foundational. It helps you know community. So the whole community is built on a foundation as well as your individual life. It helps the community know what its fundamental reason to be is. It's raison d'etre. <laughs> I do believe that some churches are called to be apostolic bases that support the mission of apostles. And this is where we have to keep this kingdom mindset rather than local church mindset. So we could go, well, you know, it's great. Our church is doing well and, and it's getting a bit bigger and we've got this going on, that going on. And then there's, there's this couple of people and they're always going off to out of wherever, wherever, Blessing churches in wherever, wherever. What's that got to do with us? It's got everything to do with us. That's part of our kingdom footprint. That's part of us being kingdom. That's part of heaven coming to earth. That's part of us not counting bums on seats, but counting our impact into the planet of the kingdom of God. Do you you see how that's a shift? So we would celebrate that, I don't know, Jan Max taking another team to Cumbria or to France. or That's us. That's the kingdom being released by us, from us, through us, into the nations. Or they're not here on the Sunday, and it maybe costs money to do it. That's great, because we're seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all the stuff we need here is going to be sent to us, because we're sending to them. And on, 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 on. It's a shift in the way that we think. I thought more people would be happy about that, but (laughs) I'm working on it. So, oh, I've actually touched on this. I'm doing better than I thought. Apostles and prophets teach to create identity. So some people say, you're always talking about identity. Yes. No apology for that. We don't know who we are. We're screwed. Because what happened in the Reformation is the revelation of identity was something in the realm of we're a bunch of worms, we're sinners saved by grace. Even, even the thing about the priesthood of all believers was a truth that came out in the Reformation. But they deleted the royal from the priesthood. In the Bible it says, not that we're priests, it says we're royal priests. They just couldn't get their head around 
man, he's made us royalty. And so we have this whole backdrop that, you know, to be humble is to be poor, to be broken, to be semi-depressed, that, to be self-deprecating rather than to know who we are in Christ, that he is in us and we are in him and he is in the Father, that we're sons of the same kind as Jesus. There isn't an extra different category. Still happy. But sown somewhere in the atmosphere, in, the, in, the, in our mother's milk, is this idea that we're just sinners saved by grace and we just keep cutting against that because it isn't true anymore. You were a sinner. Once you're saved by grace, you're a saint. You're, you're a royal. Read about royalty to find out what you're like because you're royalty. Just look at somebody and say, you're royalty, just to help them. So it says of the early church, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because that's how they found out who they were. Everybody just thought this was a new sect of Judaism. No, it wasn't. This was the Jesus people that were going to change the planet. And they needed to understand that they were not just a continuation of Judaism. They needed to understand they were something else. So that what the apostles did was teach into their historic, social, economic context who they were so that they would live lives in the world but not be of the world because they knew who they were. The only way it's possible to be in the world and not of it is to live according to your heavenly identity. So you have to know your origin, your source and your sustenance. Otherwise, it's just too easy to blend in. And that's what they did to the early church. So eventually it was not seen as part of Judaism. This was a new thing that God was doing. And it took apostolic teaching to give them a sense of who they are. And we need that in every generation because the world's environment wants to dumb us down and suck us in. And we need to remember in the context of this part of history who we are and what that looks like right now. Does that make sense somewhere? That's all you can get today. Sorry, moving on. <laughs> I can't remember if I'm four or five, but if you're taking notes, <laughs> I just did four, I'm on four. This is four. Okay, who thinks we're on point five now? Uh, that's what I think, so we're going to go with that. Okay. <laughs> Apostles. Very quick, I'll teach you to know the presence and prioritize the, pres prioritize the presence of God. The church has had a real difficulty in detecting the, the presence of God. The church in general gets freaked out when God shows up. And what can happen in, in a, a, a non-adjusted pastoral gift is that what pastors do is they start to pastor God rather than pastoring people in the move of God. So they want God to calm down because a high priority is people need to feel safe. 
And if people are groaning and crying out and falling on the floor and, and, and shouting too loudly and it's all getting a bit emotional, they're aware that some people are in the room. This makes them feel unsafe. So the, the, the non-apostolicized pastors could make the mistake of shutting down God rather than helping the people work well inside the move of God. Apostles and prophets, they just want the move of God. Let other people deal with how you're feeling about it. Let you deal with how you're feeling about it. But they want to teach you what that feels like and that you're able to detect it beyond what your senses are picking up because you think, these people are nuts, but it feels good. That's the bit you need to learn because you're equipped to detect the presence even if it's coming at you looking to you like I never saw this in church before. Like joy. Sadly, a rare commodity in some church environments. But it's the presence of God. So that's, that was number five. Number six. <laughs> oh, Quickly, quickly, the foundation is because they're meant to be and are catalysts for all the others. So you get, more, you get supernatural pastors and supernatural teachers and supernatural evangelists. Yeah? So there's a foundational sense in terms of this is a platform in which everybody can thrive. This creates a, a soil in which all the other things can grow. That's the, the heartbeat of this. Not that everybody looks like that. But because it's a strong gift, and they start preaching at you, you think, what you're telling me is I've got to be like you. No, I'm not, I'm not telling you you've got to be like me, or an apostle isn't telling you. That. He's just saying, you need this, and then you'll become like you. Okay, final point in this passage. Uh, again, homework, Acts chapter 5. Just read the first uh, two stories it's amazing. To me, it's, the, it, it, it's probably, for me, the high point of Peter's apostolic ministry. And, and I only kind of clocked this recently. But the, the, the passage basically goes, they're having an offering. And Ananias and Sapphira brings the offering to the apostles. But they've sold a piece of land and agreed together that they're not going to give all the money. But they're going to say that they're giving all the money. And so... The husband comes in first, and there's Peter, and somehow he gets a word of knowledge and basically says, you didn't give all the money. And at the end of the word of knowledge, Ananias dies, right, drops down dead right in front of him. Now, I ask you, if that happened in my office, what would be happening? <laughs> then, to compound the difficulty, his wife shows up, and Peter asks a simple question, is this the amount of money you, you agreed to give? And she is in the, in the conspiracy, and, and, and he just says, well, the men that just carried your husband out are coming to carry you as well. And she drops down dead. See, it's not very pastoral. If that happened in my office, the blue lights would be flashing outside the door. There'd be autopsies. Be, can you imagine? You're like, 
what kind of a church is this? We were just wanting to give. And they were giving a lot of money. They were giving a lot of money. They are like, I just gave you 10,000 pounds and you killed me. I don't think Peter killed them. I just think they died. But I think they died because of what he was carrying. Just bear with me. So the next story that I love is that he's walking to the prayer meeting and they're dragging people out into the street so that his shadow can fall on them. And and as his shadow just falls on people, they're getting healed. And they're bringing people from all round about the villages, all the sick, they're laying them out. And everybody he walks past and his shadow falls on gets well. I don't think he's thinking, make them well, Lord, make them well, get them well, be healed, be healed. He's just going to prayer meeting. I don't think he was sitting in front of Ananias as a fire going, kill him, God, kill him, God, they cheated the offering. But I think something in the apostolic carries the presence that is both purity and power together. And that's what you get in that passage. There's a release of purity because, because there is something dishonest taking place. Now, it's an extreme example, but I know people who've experienced this. And it's not like even they've said anything, but somehow, just because of what they carry in the realm of anointing and purity, other people's stuff starts coming out. And then people start looking at you like you're the bad guy. They want to lock you up because you made them feel uncomfortable and all you did was, well, I'm just here. And then they start saying, well, these are all the good things, all the money we've given, but I'm just here. This stuff that's coming out of you is nothing to do with me. Don't blame me. Other than what I carry means it's catalyzing what's in you, the unhealthy part. Because there's a passion for purity in the heartbeat of the apostolic because Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle and they carry the anointing is for purity and for power. I think that's why that passage is together. It's not that we have to preach on purity. It's not that we kind of harangue people. It just is the Holy Spirit called holy for a reason. He isn't just called spirit. Hey, spirit dude. No, he's called Holy Spirit dude. And he's in us. An apostolic anointing releases an atmosphere of holiness that deception and hidden things can't stay in. They just start coming out. And some of them come out at you. Been there. And you're like, why is this happening to me? And it's like, because it's you carry the Holy Spirit. So the same apostolic anointing that sees the, the sick healed because you walk past them is the one where, where there's a, a revelation, a pulling to the light where there's hidden sin. That's really important. We don't talk a lot about holiness, but actually we are a royal priesthood, a holy generation, and God is releasing holiness amongst us today, I believe, and what that does is it lines you up to your true identity, which is righteousness, and reveals anything that is out of sync with who you really are in thoughts, behavior, conversation, etc. And the more we become apostolic, the scarier it will be to be in this environment if stuff is in you and is hidden. And sometimes people go, 
you're a terrible church. What they mean is, you're making me feel bad because what's in me is starting to come out of me. So, he's showing us how to move from a pastorate form of government to an apostolate form. He's showing us how to bring the kingdom of God while he builds the church. He's showing us that our sense of identity is going to get stronger as we conform our form of government to heaven's blueprint. And that's some of the shift and transition that you know, we talked to you as a team. That, that's not the whole story, but some of what we're in is finding our way forward to be more an apostolic people in which pastors, prophets, teachers thrive. Because all of those gifts functioning and alive is going to do us good and keep us all healthy. But some of our expectations of what churches need to keep shifting. That's the challenge. You can't expect it to be what we've had for the last 500 years. So we're on a journey, a radical journey, to model something, to break molds, to be different, but to line up with the revelation of Scripture as to the nature of the church, the nature of the apostolic, and the prophetic, etc., etc. Can we just stand and pray as we just sort of close out on this? I don't know what this may have done to you or for you or in you, but let's just take a moment to ask Heavenly Father to help us all become more apostolic and easier with the journey that he's got us on into this sense of government and, uh, and, and gifting release. So, Father, thanks that, that you sent Jesus and that he rose again and gave gifts to men and women Thanks for all the amazing astral teaching people we have. Thanks for the prophets that are in this house. Thanks for the emerging apostolic people that are in this room. And God, we, we want to just celebrate them all and learn what it is to, to walk this walk together.